Welcome to the Rumpus Room. Hey everybody, how's it going out there? It's the boys from the Midwest back kicking it here in the Rumpus Room. And let's hit them with the takeaway message of the day. So our war at at work basically that we're, we're working for is the war against resistance. And this comes from the book The War of Art by Stephen Pressfield, which if you have any issue with procrastination, I would read it immediately. It's a really quick read. Uh, but what it talks about is the the enemy that you should be trying to overtake is the enemy of resistance. And resistance is the thing that keeps you from doing what you should be doing. So when you, I mean, again, everybody knows what we should be doing. You know, you should be sending off that sales email, whatever it is. But he frames it in a very, I've never heard anybody frame it before like he has. And it talks a lot about the war is in the resistance. And once you can focus on that as your enemy, I think it's helped me focus a lot more on overcoming that resistance. And what it kind of leads into the discussion is the difference between a professional and an amateur. And so this was kind of a big part of uh, how do you become a professional at something? Say you have a new vocation, it's painting. You know, you need to sit down and paint. And professional painters just paint. They don't Instagram about it being their new passion. You know, that's the thing that we I think we were talking about earlier is amateurism is more tied to identity so you show up and you want your identity to be a painter but a professional i mean it's like jason Bourne. you want jason Bourne to do the job he shows up like a professional does the job and gets out of there well and a, and a true professional won't feel the need to broadcast the fact that they're a professional because they know it <laughs> they know it you know? they have they don't need excuse and i mean we're all professional at something I mean, the fact that you show up and get a paycheck and if you lose your job, you don't get, you don't, you're not able to feed yourself and you, you know, pay your rent and all that stuff. So you're, we're all professionals at something. Um, yeah, it's, well, when I was in my early twenties, I think there was this huge, and there probably, probably a lot of early twenties folks feel this way about like. Um, this huge desire to be a professional immediately, mm. you know, or like um, you, you hear the stories of the CEO who drops out of college and becomes a billionaire by 25 or whatever, you know, obviously being a professional very early on in their career. And um, I felt so much or I have been feeling so much more solace in the um, not needing of that identity reassurance, you know, because I feel more professional in my skills that um, like I feel so much less anxiety about the value that I could offer an organization. And I think the early 20s is just really tough for people mm. who really want to offer a lot of value, but the reality is you just don't. Mm. I mean, even if you work your ass off, you're still just not really that talented, you know? Mm. And um, I think for millennials, we that message kind of missed us for whatever reason we really got that like snowflake type you know you're the individual special person who has a lot of value and it's kind of like that is very much true at the core and it's also like the world doesn't give a, a flying f you know about you or what you've done or anything really you know that when you get out in the real world there's nobody cares i mean 
this is something that it actually took me a long time to learn is nobody really cares about what I do or what you like what you say everybody's focused on their own internal dialogue Mm -hmm. you know I used to think because you know I'm more empathetic than I think the average person is so I am listening and trying to feel out what other people are thinking and I've realized that's not naturally the state of other people so a lot of times they don't you know everybody when you're in a meeting room you say your little spiel and then the next person says the spiel and most people aren't listening to what you're saying but you think everybody is like paying attention to your exact language and everything and they're paying a ton of attention to you but that is not true and it's really interesting because in stories that I have um, in places where I've recently tried to understand if that's uh, at parties if you start asking people questions, they're much more interested in you than if you start talking. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just mm-hmm. a net, that's an easy example of how to make more friends is just don't talk and you listen more. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this notion of professionalism, I think is just, um, I, I don't know, maybe it's, maybe it's age, maybe it's experience, but the, I also encountered it on the ski hill this past uh, week. We were out in Jackson Hole doing some skiing, which we got graced with 24 inches of some extremely light density snow. So it was very fun uh, for a while there. But um, near the end of the trip, we were ripping groomers pretty hard. And we were in a section of the mountain when we were coming down from a different part of the mountain where there's historically a great opportunity to open her up. And what that means is you get as low to the ground as possible, take as minimal amount of turns as possible, and go as fast as possible. We've been known to get into trouble with ski patrol. We've been threatened to have our tickets pulled. Thank God they haven't. Allegedly. Allegedly. And this year, it was so funny because we were in this section of, we were in this section of the mountain, mm-hmm. and we skied down it. And not a single person in the group was out of control. Everybody skied right past ski patrol. And it could have been compounded by the fact that we were all dog tired. Um, But we got to the bottom of the hill and I just looked at everybody and I was kind of like, either we're extremely tired or we've matured a little bit. because I think it's a little of both. That was very uncharacteristic of our group that we would take an opportunity like that and, you know, be responsible on the ski slopes. So it's I would, fresh, fresh. It's basically it was, optimal conditions was, for speed. It was great, great conditions for speed, and and we all turned. We we took turned. our sweet time. Yep, but they were nabbing people on that run. I remember I was on the chairlift. They were just they were calling out old dudes for Big time. you know I, I, everybody. And what was interesting was there's a lot of messaging around uh, hitting other skiers. So there was one sign that was all over that was she was she was five you were doing fifty you were doing fifty and she's dead yeah that was that's pretty scary to see you know that puts it in perspective because it is a very dangerous sport you know I mean outside of all the avalanche risk and whatever Mm -hmm. uh, when you go out into the backcountry it can be a it can be a very scary thing but overall it was such a great trip I don't know what was um. was perhaps a memorable moment for you in terms of you know something about this most recent venture out to Jackson Hole well one thing I realized is when I was tired 
if I became more aware of my body and the skiing, I was so much better and I was not tired. And if I was not aware, I was thinking about how tired I was. I was not able to ski very well. It was really, really, really quite like a light bulb moment for me where it was like, I'm pretty good at skiing and thinking about things at the same time. And when I just skied, it was a lot easier for me to ski. Yeah. Um, I certainly noticed that as well, where, um, I was thinking about how tired I was. It was noticeably more excruciating than if I was just, Oh, you know, like, yeah, I'm tired, but you know, let me just take this turn and be very present in the turn. And I was able to ski very aggressively for a very long time and I'm really feeling it. I feel like I have not gotten over 80% energy levels in the last six days, which tells you the amount of exertion. Low battery. battery. Yeah. The recharge is on big time. So I went to the gym the other day, yesterday actually was the first time I even decided to venture back and I did like the most minuscule of workouts and could hardly make it home. I was so tired. It's tough. Yeah. I, I've been going on walks. That's my workout is to try to get back and then doing a little bit of slow Tai Chi Mm -hmm. to try to get my body and my mind back together. But man, it's, you can feel it pretty immediately. Yeah. The sleep we're getting has been fantastic. Like rechargeable sleep. You know, you're in a deep rechargeable sleep when you wake up after nine hours and you're not, you're still way tired. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was, I think that was one of the more noticeable things for me is just how um, how beat down I was afterwards. I had never, and I also think that I probably skied as hard as I've ever skied. I mean, we skied aggressively for five days. That well, was, the first three days with all of the new snow, we went absolutely bonkers. Yeah. Because day one, so day one when we get there, we had, what, five feet of visibility felt like mm-hmm. yeah really poor visibility and the reason why it was poor visibility is because it was snowing 20 inches mm-hmm. so then the next day we came and it was all of that snow and when you ski in deep powder it's extremely tiring um, it's just a lot more tiring than skiing through groomers that's the frustrating thing it's more tiring but it's also so much easier to get the energy ex- exertion up because you're the excitability, you know, I mean, yeah, it's just, you are wicked. Yeah. You're, you're jacked up. You're jacked and up. And I think you're probably not as aware of how tired you are until you get home. Yeah. Well, yep. we did a lot of hot tubs, a lot of hot tubs, a lot of hot cold. It's probably not good for your, the energy is to zap it with a hot tub. It does zap the energy, but I do think it does a, a wonder for the musk, the muscles, the circulatory system. Yeah. I mean, um, Oh gosh, we got into the hot tub this one night and we got in there about, I don't know, five o'clock, which was a gigantic mistake. Um, So it was just jam packed. People were kind of like fighting over positions. It was so bad that people were in the middle of the tub and then they were kind of like fighting to get to the side. It was no jets, no no, possible jets, no possible jets. It was sardines in there. I mean, it was, it was uncomfortable and it's so funny because Every year, the running joke about the guys who go on this trip to Jackson is about like how how many girls are going to turn their heads and want our attention. And there is it's pretty rare that you see 
any know, but any women any any ladies so it's obviously you know we're making fun of ourselves because you go into the hot tub and one of the guys is like all right let me know if there's any chicks in there it's like <laughs> no it's going to be there's going to be four guys from boston there's going to be six guys from california there's going to be you know, uh, a group of eight, you know, 10, 40 year olds. There's going to be a guy, you know, there's going to be a party. There's going to be a guy with his wife and his two kids and his two kids are going to be boys. I mean, like it's, there's <laughs> it no, and it's just, that's who is attracted to the ski community. And that's fine. You know, I don't, I don't really care, but it's, it's a run. It's a fun joke that we have with ourselves because, uh, the priority when we're there is definitely skiing and ski certainly changed over the years, but it has. Uh, when we were young and wild, we used to think that was the place to go, which if if we wanted to to get that type of scene, going to Jackson Hole is probably not the right choice. No, if you want that scene, you got to go to Whistler, you got to go to Tahoe or Breckenridge. Breckenridge. Yeah, Breckenridge. Mm-hmm. Uh, I believe it's called Elsie's or something. There's this bar in Breckenridge that... For those of you who are in the, uh, I mean, it's the equivalent of like a college bar. Everybody there is, it's sweaty, it's low ceilings. They've got their playing get low, like every four tracks. It's just like uh, Cecilius, that's what it's called. And um, it, it, maybe it's worth going to once. Uh, if you're over the age of 24, I'd say go ahead and skip it. But uh, ski towns in and of itself are just an odd it's an odd culture, you know, I mean, like uh, our cousin lives out there and he was talking about the icon pass and how it is kind of destroying the local scene for skiers. So uh, the icon pass is this multiple ski resort destination pass. Think of it like a season pass that multiple resorts say, you know, if you buy this thing, you can come ski at our resort for X amount of days or unlimited or whatever. And it's a way to make skiing cheaper because uh, how much was a five-day lift ticket at Jackson Hole? So it's about 125 bucks a day. Yeah. Um, That's an so aggressive shot in the wallet. Mm-hmm. Yeah, That doesn't include rental equipment or lodging. That's just ski. That's just lift, lift access. is better than other places, uh, specifically Colorado, that we hear. Yep. Vail broke 200 for their lift ticket prices this year. 218 bucks is the going rate for, or the window rate for uh, a lift ticket at Vail Resorts, which is a lot, especially considering, I'm sure you saw the, the lift the lines, lines two-hour lift lines at particular parts of the mountain. I mean, that's... Does the Epic, so the Vail, does that have a pass, like a season Epic pass? Yep, Vail is the Epic pass. All of the Epic resorts, you can use your Epic What's pass. What's the Epic pass cost? A thousand bucks, 800 to a thousand bucks. If you live there, you're probably nailing, you're doing that. Oh yeah, definitely. Well, and these these multi-resort passes have had interesting impacts on the local ski community because you have locals who then get absolutely mobbed up with these more recreational weekend Weekenders skiers. Skis, yeah, and yep. what's interesting about the ski pass is it's a it's a basically a two tripper. So yep. like you have to do two trips for it to make financial sense. So you get people that are probably doing a weekend but they're picking certain weekends and um, if it starts to snow, say in Jackson hole, there's a lot more of these icon passers that just blast over to the resort, whether it's, we, we met a lot of people driving from Colorado. Um, And I think it's just, it's increasing the volume of traffic, which 
obviously is probably pretty good for the resort, but I think the locals are getting a little fed up with it. They are. Last year there was actually a feud. Um, the local folks at Big Sky Resort were lobbying the um, the administration to drop out of the Big Sky, uh, the, drop out of the Icon Pass uh, thing. And, and the management were just like, you know, guys, we could drop out, but we would close the doors in two years. So if you want us to shut down, mm. sure, we'll do it. Because like yeah. ski resorts, you know, skiing is this, having the similar sort of effect that golf has had. Golf, golf membership, golf activity is extremely down with millennials. Same with skiing. It's one of those more expensive leisure activities that when you're paying off student loan debt and trying to buy a house, just isn't feasible. No, it doesn't make a lot of sense. And the, you know, the, it's the all of the ancillary costs with all these things too. It's like to buy a set of golf clubs is now thousand, thousand bucks. bucks. That's a ton skis. of money. Same with nice skis, and that's just not something that I think. And it takes a long time to do. You know, when you're skiing, you're skiing a whole day. When you're golfing, you're skiing, you know, four hours. Well, golfing, golfing is another hours. thing, though. That like, if you didn't start when you were young. God forbid you have to pick up golf when you're somewhat of an older person who oh, has man. not acclimated to the swing. Man. God, you, I don't want to pay One eighty of the bucks. Frustrating thing to do. I don't want to pay eighty bucks to go hack around a golf course and just get my ass kicked. I I, I am fortunate enough to have learned as a young adult, and I'm by no means good, but I can at least connect with the ball and hit you it. Make a couple good. I mean, because you want to make you want to make contact with it and feel good about yourself. And well, that's something that when you start golf, you don't you don't really get that satisfaction very much. <laughs> no, and it's the same with skiing. You don't really get the satisfaction of like crushing down a mountain at an enjoyable pace mm-hmm. until you've been doing it. Control. Or yeah, even being in control. Being able to ski some of the mountain. And the hard thing is when you have this dispersion of skiing abilities, it, it's tough to be in a group where you have really good skiers and really bad skiers it's the same thing with golf it's not very fun to play golf with people who just absolutely suck mm-hmm. you know it just takes a very long time and you feel bad for them. you feel bad for them because you're out there piping it and you know whatever and it, it impacts your game as well because you're you know it's easy to play good golf with everybody who's playing good golf you know you kind of feed off of each other's energy and if somebody's just chunking it along you're kind of like okay this doesn't this yeah, doesn't matter you lose your, you lose your edge exactly yeah so and that i would say tennis is somewhat similar but i don't know that tennis is as um I don't know if there's as large of a learning curve perhaps as like golf or, or skiing. Cause I feel like the margin for error with tennis is quite a bit bigger than golf, you know? Yeah. And tennis yeah. is a different sport where if you can hit it over the net and here's something that I learned from somebody that said there's the, the clear differentiation between a amateur and a professional tennis player is amateur. The game is just hit it over the net and whoever fails first in yeah. professionals, you hit to win. Yep. And it takes a long time for tennis, but you can hit it over the net and still have fun. It's not a super complicated game. Which is why pickleball has taken off with the elderly folks. Oh, pickleball's fun. Pickleball's we've played, great. We've we've played that at a boys weekend. And like rowdy. there's sprained ankles and people are diving and it's fun. Pickleball's a great game. Lots of sweat. 
Yeah, and the fun thing about pickleball is you play in whatever your attire is. I mean, there's no real sandals. Yeah, yeah, you can it's like beach volleyball. You can just mm-hmm. go out and do it, you know. Mm-hmm. There's no there's very minimal. It's not like you're showing up with ski boots and ski poles and all this garbage, you no. know. I mean, it's and it's taken off with the older crowd, but I want to talk about this this idea of like I I think music is very similar in a way like to be a really great musician takes years of practice when you are just starting an instrument it fucking sucks i don't care who you are it's like really frustrating unless you can't do anything you can't do anything and it just takes a long time and this kind of links back to our professionalism versus amateurism thing um but this idea of like super delayed gratification for um talent acquisition super delayed there's something very attractive about it Mm -hmm. and everybody's got limited amount of time on this earth so it's always going to be specialized Mm -hmm. skiing happens to be one of the things in my life that is like i've spent so much time and energy focusing on that i've had the ability to become you know more of an expert at and i know there are tons of musicians out there who have spent that time to learn their craft too um and uh you know but in the gym class pickleball unit I was able to go out there and make a name for myself because I had hand-eye coordination, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I don't know if there's... When you grew up playing a little bit of tennis, too, which helped. Sure, sure. But this this idea of, like, um, super delayed gratification with a lot of barriers to entry, I think there's something to be said about, um, shall we say, uh, like declines to the ski industry declines to the golf industry the advent of pickleball the advent of pickleball more ways to make these sports accessible Mm. like these top golf top golf more these like multi well there's the simulators simulators. golf simulators you just hit into a wall Mm -hmm. and i think that's a good way i think it's an a it's an emerging way to learn that's not as time intensive or as embarrassing or as frustrating as golf granted it does take away from some of golf's best pleasures which is being outside yeah and, and having control i mean you don't have yeah. control when you're hitting in a simulator Mm-mm, no and i think for skiing it's like what is that uh, there's not a inter a very good intermediate skill yet no. other than the uh arcade skiing that we all did but that's not even close to real the arcade skiing. There's a there's an arcade skiing game that I remember used to, I re- used to do. At, yeah, I recall it. I at recall uh, it. Dave and Buster's, or there was Grand something Slam. before Grand Slam. That oh, was the yeah. one. Block E, I've called it. Yeah, yeah. There's yeah. a lot of there's a lot of good memories there that we could go down. But first, I, 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 there's a point that I'm trying to make about this. Um, the great flattening of barriers, shall we say. Mm-hmm. You look at um, these things that have traditionally been very hard to access, skiing, golf, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, now you're seeing industries that are crumbling because of the way that they are. And then there's, and I think it's very kind of... Because ref- of the difficulty because of the difficulty because of the inaccessibility mm. and and the inaccessibility has been there by design for years i mean yeah people could have approached this long ago to be like hey let's give this more mass market appeal but mm. nobody wanted to make that decision because they didn't need to because they had enough 
going on Mm -hmm. and now things are not and I, i think it's very representative of like what's happening in our culture where kind of the traditional institutions are being forced to reevaluate yeah their approach and For sure and the idea of like you know we're going to keep these barriers to entry up because they're you know because they're a good thing that's that's becoming a detriment and i think it's fairly recent and i suppose it's it's always been like this is the great unraveling of all sort of empire you know i mean yeah it's like the, the british natural empire. progression of yep. like it's the evolving of something that's over demanded or something that is that hasn't met its capacity or it's over its capacity or under its capacity and is finally meeting its it's meeting maker. Its, its demise because mm-hmm. of its inability to adjust to market conditions. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. And this is the beauty of something like capitalism at work is what is the market naturally demanding for it? And is it consuming the resources that it should be? And if it's not, it's going to work its way out of the system. Yeah. Yeah. And or find its way to the system in the appropriate manner. And it's interesting to watch these industries try and kind of claw back their relevancy. Mm very much like much of the institutions, political, social, whatever you want to say, are dealing with this reevaluation of being relevant. And yeah, I mean, and perhaps we're at the cusp of somebody who is seeing this changing of the guard, you know, because we've now been able to witness like kind of status quo, you know, we've been around for like 30 years or so. So you kind of get a feel for like kind of how things are. Well, in companies every 25 years, the the top 20 in a yes and P drop out every 25 years and it's a total recycle and the new ones got into power shall we say 10 years ago yeah like the it's Google Amazon Google Amazon Facebook. Microsoft Facebook Microsoft has been there for a long time since the 80s I believe mm-hmm. yeah that they've and like I, I think it will be interesting to watch companies like Google because they're trying to prevent that right now that's yeah. like, and you look at some other companies in other industries and they're all working like banshees to try to expand. You look at Amazon, you look at Apple, all of these, like Radio Shack, for example, is probably used in every business book across the world and there's millions of case studies on it, but didn't expand its market. Had plenty of opportunity to get better, but it didn't. I think it's interesting to look at like sports going through this kind of evolution and like I'm always interested to see baseball because to me baseball is was like a pastime yeah but it isn't like the number one sport and it's just how relevant is baseball going to be going forward yeah um, baseball attendance attention occupation of the collective psyche is obviously decreasing um the those guys get paid a lot of money they get paid a lot but the houston astros cheating scandal was the best thing to happen to baseball for the last 20 years was the only thing people are going to pay attention people are going to watch this season just to watch the astro well they've already they're already watching there's already an over under on how many people are going to get hit this year in astros baseball i believe it's 83 it's 83 i saw that article too and you know what's interesting too is at all of their games, they're having to have massive security because people are just running and pounding, pounding on pounding trash, trash cans, cans <laughs> yeah. stands, and they're having to like kick people out of these. 
Springling games that nobody ever even went, like not a lot yeah. of people attend, but the Astros are. Controversy is really great for the sports, for sports. Well, yeah. it's the adage of uh, all any news is good news. Like exactly. any type of press is good press. Yep. Yep. I mean, outside of Tiger Woods being himself and losing all of his sponsorship money with a scandal, but. He, he came back, so you never know. Yeah, Tiger Woods is a good example of somebody who that rule does not apply. Not at all. Not apply. Tiger is a shining example of how not all press is good. <laughs> it's true. It's a proven fact that not all press, all those scandals Actually, that you read no about press. in Hollywood, yeah. different story than, than good old Tiger Woods. And I suppose um, the... The the rule is no news is good news if you're on top. Mm-hmm. If you're in the middle, anything goes. Well, I think too... Or if you're, on, if you're near the bottom. I think that goes with Hollywood because the moment you stay, you become irrelevant. That's when the Nobody, sex tape comes out. That's when... That's Next when, thing you know, the, a tape that's is... That's when you're dating a Kardashian. Uh, yeah. That's yeah. when you pay the Kardashians to start dating one of them for a week. Yeah. Name in the news. I bet there are people who, I mean, that would be an expensive contract, a dating contract. There are probably people who pay to have pictures taken with with certain people as well. Oh, like, I'm hey, sure. I'm sure. Can we go out and can we take a picture and can we post it? And somebody somebody is probably out there being like, yeah, that'll cost you 10 grand. Yeah, let's infer a relationship but not let's, say anything. Let's moni- or let's monetize the attention. I mean, that... It's it sounds kind of cheap, but in this world of personal brand, it's it's the future. I even mm-hmm. was thinking about it in the context of like I hate posting on social media. I think it's I just am adverse to it. Um, We've been so turned off by it. I think people our age, certain ones. I think more. I, it's hard to figure out who likes it. I mean, you know who likes it and who does it, but it's hard to figure out what the clear differentiator is in those type of people but it, to me it doesn't quite go along with the like my identity that I've assumed of some like the bragging is not a professional attribute and I think we both have kind of tried to be more of a professional person I don't think people that are posting are trying to be amateurs but it's more of the identity we've assumed maybe well, and it's this, uh, I always struggle with like this idea that, okay, I am, I'm out in Jackson Hole, I'm loving what I'm doing. Yes, to some degree, I want to share that with people. And then my thought right after that is, oh, I don't want to brag about my life. And maybe. Yeah, and you ruin the moment sometimes too. You, you ruin the moment. And I, I was kind of going back and forth with myself about the bragging piece because um, I bet I could get that out of my system in terms of like really having it be like, hey, I want to share this content with you about my life. But for me, it just seems boastful all mm-hmm. of the time because of the fact that I'm doing it, which is really odd that I have a disposition that suggests that even communicating a, shall we say, high point of my life feels boastful. Perhaps that's my humble Scandinavian roots or something. But Probably. I think we've been over boasted, though. Like we've seen so much of that yeah, that yeah. we've become extremely been, turned off by it. Yeah, it's been tainted. Because if I think everybody's so tired of their Facebook news feed, I mean that's a reason, big reason why I jumped off of that thing. It's like there's nothing productive in there for me. Nothing. And you get so turned off by it that when you start, I mean you can't. 
for me, it's really hard to kind of, I mean, we talk about this in the podcast and then to post that stuff is like, well, that's saying one thing and doing another for me. That's, that's hard. That's difficult. That, that causes me a lot of like hesitation. <laughs> yeah. And then you log, I log in, I see other people sharing, you know, things about their lives and I usually don't think they're boasting, you know, usually it feels rather genuine or whatever sometimes mm-hmm. it may just be blatant and it's like oh god here's another one of them and it's i just don't want consistency too and i i don't want to i don't want anyone in my life but here's the deal um i don't want anyone in my life to think that about me that mm-hmm. i'm just oh fuck he's just talking about another great place that he's been again mm-hmm. i don't want people to have that exacerbated feeling when they think about me in any way and um I think social media, you run the risk because you really have so little control over what the interpretation. Mm-hmm. Then at the same time, I, I'm coming back to like, well, do I really care about what people off in the distance think about me that aren't materially part of my life? You know? Oh, and I think it's the important thing for that I've kind of thought about this is it's the, the decision of why I'm doing it. Like, why am I posting that I'm skiing in Jack. Like, what is the need for it for me? Yeah. You know, like, am I posting because I, I genuinely want other people, but is there like something deeper down that I do this for an alternative reason that's unhealthy? You know, and I, I think for me, there was just more of the, I don't think I'm doing this for a purely positive reason. Sure. And I think everybody has their own, thought process when they do these things. So I'm not judging. I'm just saying this is what my process is like and everybody else has their own. Um, But I I just think for me, that was kind of what held me back is I just couldn't. That's just how my thought process was with that. The the posting thing. That's kind of, and it's crazy to think that it has caused that much. I've thought about this that much. Like I've I've thought about it a lot. I don't I don't know many young adults who haven't thought about it a lot. And mm-hmm. if you haven't thought about it a lot, chances are you're one of the people spamming people's feeds, making everybody turn off your your you know mute. <laughs> yeah, the hide feed. That was a great feature yeah, that I'm great glad feature. they they came in with. Um But I, I yeah, I just think I've spent a lot of time contemplating the reason of why me as a person has to post that. And that's where I've ended up and it could change in the future. I don't know. Maybe I'll all of a sudden jump back on Twitter and start ranting away. You never know. Yeah, maybe. I'll take a really sort of simple example. Cousin of mine posted a photograph of him and his girlfriend out in the wilderness. And, you know, something about a camping trip. And, oh, that's really great. Um, You know, now we have made that connection. I knew that they did that. It gives me a conversation piece. Mm -hmm. Um when I see them next, which is fine. Mm-hmm. Um, also, I would be 100% equipped to go about my life had I never seen that. Mm-hmm. I, I sensed no malice or no boasting or mm-hmm. no, you know, no nothing like overtly self selfish about his post. It was just very matter of fact, and you know, obviously that I have a relationship with him helps mm-hmm. because I know the type of person that he is. But um, it, it was just an example of like there. It was a more pure form I felt of yeah. utilization, and also entirely meaningless from my perspective because it took me out of my 
focus on myself. But you, when you go to social media, you're willingly relinquishing your attention on yourself. You're saying, I don't want to think about who I am right now. I want to think about other people. For sure. Well, <laughs> it's, the hard it's thing a distract. Is, it's an escapism. Is is it, it is escapism, and it also sometimes turned it right back into your, my own need. Well, then, and yeah, and then it is the it, it emerges, it brings out the worst part of you, which yeah. is always some sort of, you know, Compet in in our case, perhaps like you know some sort of ego. Yeah, we were raised very competitively, so I think yeah, in in a in a, a great you know it really helped us excel. And I think, but those are some of the tendencies I think we have to overcome is the egoness of doing certain things. And when we we like to compete, that's just been our nature. Yeah, probably won't stop anytime, but. No, the, the skiing is like the only time I ever consider posting anything at all because um, my rationale is like, oh, you know, my other friends who ski would probably want to see this because mm -hmm. this is really cool. This is really fun. They would probably it's a great get, moment that you like. Yeah. And I want to share that with them. So I'm I don't know. I, we've beat this one to a bloody pulp, sure, I yeah. suppose people are probably this is what's gone on in a midwestern person's mind when they're thinking about posting a photo whether or not you want the attention this is how this is how this is why flyover country exists because a bunch of people were like i want to be flown over yeah i literally want people to fly over me yeah, i'm go gonna for stay it. here i yeah, like it get here the fuck out of here i don't want you i, like I don't want here. you looking at me I like what are you doing here. Yeah. Get your own life. <laughs> you know? I'm going to go ahead and just do my work. <laughs> and do my thing. Do my thing. I don't need to post about it. I don't need to boast about my life. I don't need you. But if I do, I'm going to think about it for a really long time. And if I do, determine it's going to be awesome. It's, it's going to be a lot better. It's going to mean a lot to me. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It really means a lot to me. Yeah. No kidding. <laughs> oh, my yeah. gosh. So much weight. Mm. So much weight tied to it mm. as opposed to. But that is extremely eroding i mean the you and i are, are so much more s you and i are so much more sensitive to the um to the identity being tied to this digital identity mm. a young kid who could just post a photograph all of the time about everything thinks a hell of a lot less about i mean this is an example this is exact very uh exemplified by our uh, mother's, uh, shall we say, weight tied to the use of personal data. I mean, like anytime <laughs> we go under a traffic light, she's like, they're going to have your data. There's yep. a traffic camera here, you know. Mm -hmm. uh, and we have a slightly, we have a degree of less like of they, that. They already have it. They already have it. We all know that. Exactly. And then the, the kids that are posting today, they, you know, they don't even care either. No. I mean, you think of the way they've been... Uh, the 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 way we've all been kind of um I'm, I'm not sure what the right term is but just kind of blasted over yeah, desensitized to all this information is it's generational yeah, so yeah um any hot takes uh i do have uh some best practices from the debates so i'm gonna let's hit them with it we, we watched the democratic debate as a group and it was a blast it was very interesting to watch with a left-leaning... Actually, the group wasn't left-leaning, I would say. I would say it was like exactly even. It's almost smack dab. If you have some left, some right, 
and some some, some that aren't willing to commit. Yeah, it's, <laughs> and some right leaning, right <laughs> leaning. <laughs> um, and uh, my my best practice. Okay, here we go. And they did it in the most recent debate too. Mm. Uh, so we watched the one when they were in New Hampshire. There was one in Nevada. Nevada. And the one in New Hampshire, all it was was a, gir- a giant blood, a dirty laundry airing session. The moderators were like, hey, Mr. Candidate for President, tell me your explanation for why you screwed up this thing. Mm-hmm. Why did you do this horrible... Here's a horrible characteristic. Make, make the debates great again. Here's a horrible <laughs> characteristic about you as a candidate. Yeah. How do you squeeze out of this one? And I I was repulsed. I was I was so Like throwing softballs for like throw giving everybody else a dodgeball and having somebody stand there in the middle. Well, it was like every question to the candidate was an absolute grenade. And mm. I finally CNN actually said it. So I, w- I read a brief, and they said the winners and losers of the last debate started off Pete Buttigieg, followed by Sanders, followed by Warren, followed by Donald Trump. And they said, because basically it was just a giant shouting match where people were um, you know, tearing each, tearing other, down. each other apart. And mm-hmm. it's like, y'all are supposed to be in the same party. I don't know if debates used to be like this or if they're trying to prep for Donald Trump, but they're killing the Democratic candidacy with these debates mm. they're turning people off by this fight and i i just was watching them serve up these absolute daggers well of the question. negativity the was negativity crazy. it was horrible it was, it was all negative and i understand why are you so bad why are you so, here here's an example where you're a, you're a horrible candidate. candidate yeah tell us why you're not because you left the debate with a sour taste in your mouth of like well oh, that's bad which i i just thought it was MSNBC that was hosting the debate. It was like, shouldn't you guys be building up your candidates? And I was making these jokes to our friends that was like, if this debate were on Fox, the questions would have been, you have a great track record. Tell me more about it. Tell me how you've managed to get so good at what you do, Mr. Trump. I mean, that like, and then on MSNBC, they're like, here's an instance where you were burning books in the street. Mm-hmm. Can Why you defend you- yourself? Yeah, well, I mean, the the examples they came with were like the stop and frisk. Stop they went and frisk, okay. Yep, do you want to just, and maybe it was their intent to like take these candidates out of the running, but it was, uni, it was universal. They were, they were fire hosing every single one across the board. It wasn't. Uh, Nobody was out of, out of the razor gun. No. Everybody was in line. And I think what was interesting to me was you could tell that there was a no clear front runner because it was like a machine gun of fire. It wasn't like we're picking on one person. It There was not a lot of, uh, it was very nitpicky. It was like the, the entire time was kind of picking at people. Um, and that was really frustrating. I think as a viewer, you kind of left like, Oh gosh, that was ugly. Which just, boggles my mind that if you have an election to win that's the overall tone of the candidacy for president right. and that to me just it was kind of like i i don't i don't and maybe maybe they're going to really turn on the jets in terms of positivity once the candidate gets elected but 
negativity goes a lot longer in terms of it's well you look at the way they the the democratic party has treated trump so in the 2016 election they painted him as a nazi like a neo-nazi like if yeah. you support yeah. him you're a neo-nazi that didn't work out so well no so if they continue this trend it'll be interesting to see if that wins again right now it's there's a lot of people that we've spoken with that are le- left leaning that are saying there's no way they can beat we can beat Trump. There's no way. Which is interesting cuz I, I just think this negativity bias is going to come back like the whole you get you catch more bees with honey than with a machine gun. Well and that was just it. That's what was so shocking to me is that they were using the negativity against their own party it was just mm. and i was expecting them to serve up softball questions or something and they really didn't at all and maybe i don't know maybe they will who knows it's when that gets closer to election time maybe it'll soften up i i have no idea i mean they've already sabotaged bernie as the front runner once will they do it again i don't know mm. for who i don't know it, it's it's a cluster. Well, it I'll sounds like that. nobody thinks Bernie can win against. He's just too, too left. Yeah. I I don't know. He, they say they don't think he can win. He's too left, but he's winning the effing delegacy right now. Yeah. I mean, you know, like. They just let the Hillary, process work itself out. He why beat don't Hillary you? Clinton fair and square as well. Hmm. <laughs> that didn't, you know, I don't know. It's just, it. it's. It's fascinating. It's a fascinating time to be politically tuned in in our country. And I'm not going to say Trump's going to win in a landslide. I've said Trump will win in a landslide, but every person that said Hillary was going to win in a landslide predictions mean nothing. Had to eat their words. So I'm. I don't know. Predictions mean nothing. I'll just keep my predictions in Minnesota, and I have a feeling that. He's going to win Minnesota. You think he's going to turn red? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I heard a statistic that um, he only lost by 300,000 votes, which is like the slimmest margin that there ever has been in the last, I don't know, 20, 25 years in Minnesota. Anybody doesn't know as a very blue state. Very blue state. And um, when I went to the Trump rallies, or I, I didn't go to the Trump rallies, I live near the stadium, and I just was parking my car coming home and, from work. And um, there were thousands of people. And, bonkers. And they were very much not city dwellers. I mean, these people were coming from the outskirts in mass mm-hmm. to support their president. And you had a lot of city dwellers that were there in protest. You know, a lot of the blue folks trying to spit on people or whatever or or respectfully dissent or whatever i mean we even had a couple friends that are of the democratic party that went there to challenge people mm. with their vote and I, I still that amazes me that you think that you're going to go to a somebody okay a rally a rally uh, yeah i'm going to try and convince somebody who's going to a effing political rally to reconsider their choices yeah 
What? It's like showing How up to a Yankees you? game trying to convince somebody that they they should join, start cheering ever, for the Mets. You ever thought about cheering for the Mets? Cheer for the Boston Red Sox. Let's yeah. just go all the way over to the other side. Have you ever considered being you, a Red you Sox You live in New fan? York, and you've cheered for the Yankees your entire life. God, what a waste of time. You should go cheer for the Boston Red Sox. And everybody knows there's so much research out there to suggest that when you challenge somebody they become more entrenched in their va- their values it's mm-hmm. like if you idiots want to actually make a difference in the world you'd be going out and canvassing and undecided voters texting them. me like everybody's doing right now well i'm only getting the bernie <laughs> campaign ones oh i i have uh unsubscribed to everyone but now i've been getting warren i got a oh, couple warrants, warrants huh? well, one that's creepy is they're getting hey we're we're gonna be they they have started naming the city i live in we're going to be really? canvassing your city. Wow. Come join us at this time, at this location. They must have got your voter registry from St. Paul because you live in a different city. And I Yeah, I just was, moved. And I haven't filled out. Oh, maybe I did. I'm trying to figure out. I don't think I did. I've, I've I mean, uh, I've asked, I always ask the, ber- the people from the campaign where they got my number and they say, oh, we get it from the registry, from, you know, the voter registry form. And so, I mean, okay, whatever. Mm. And then after I asked, I, I think I told one last time to take me off the list because I just was sick of getting the weekly update of. Oh, you, know, I, you get it all the time. So I've, I've just removed everybody from the list because I don't want anybody influencing my decision. Although I did hear about a great, um, a great trick, a, shall we call it a prank. Mm. Uh, you find somebody who's extraordinarily politically motivated for a particular party and then give sign them up sign them up for the opposing party's political notifications <laughs> that would be pretty pretty funny i mean you could really you could really ruffle some feathers if you if you went all the way like every super pack every sort of you well, know, like signing them up for all emails too yeah all email so you like individually subscribing so, to all can you, things can you imagine right now signing somebody who's a Republican up for every single Democratic candidate's candidacy <laughs> for the text notifications, for the email notifications, for the calls that you that would be inundating. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure, I mean, it would be worse Especially if they now. were the Republican Party. It would have been the exact same thing last year. Mm-hmm. Can you imagine signing somebody up for 20 Republican delegate uh, candidacies? I mean, it's just. I don't know. I I don't have the uh, I don't have the conniving drive to do any of that. But hopefully somebody out there will take advantage of it. And you yeah, know, I'm sure they will. I mean, we came up with the idea as a group and thought it was quite entertaining. It is entertaining. And you can think of the people. Everybody probably knows who to do it to. So it's not hard to think about who would get the most angry about that sort of a thing. Mm-hmm. Probably the people who would be at the opposing party's rally. Mm-hmm. That would be a prime choice for somebody who i would consider <laughs> consider start. the sign up yeah oh my gosh well that's all we got for you today folks tune in next week when we're back kicking it here in the rumpus room 